Have you been? Have you been? Missed you guys. Thank you for coming again. Thank you for joining me again. Always happy to have you here. Truly, truly happy. So welcome. Hope you had a good flight from Planet Earth to Planet Joe Pod. I hope uh, you're doing good. And I hope I'm not repeating myself over and over again. <laughs> Anyways, today's topic, mental illness. Very interesting topic that uh, yeah, actually I've learned a lot from uh, our next guest in this uh, upcoming interview. The guest, uh, you, can, you probably guessed by now, um, Michelle Dickinson, um, an amazing, amazing, smart woman. Um, call her uh, Wonder Woman is what she is. I always loved smart people, always admired and looked up upon smart women. I always say us men, we're still in monkey form compared to uh, women. They're much more um, complex than, uh, I don't know, maybe... They're much more complex than uh, nurturing creatures than... Uh, than us monkeys. <laughs> kidding, guys, kidding. Uh, didn't mean to bruise the ego over there. But anyways, mental illness, that's a topic that um, desperately needs more attention, given the statistics of one in five Americans suffering annually from mental health condition, like anxiety or depression, and that eight out of 10 Americans are not seeking treatment. And uh, Michelle, uh, she's a passionate woman when it comes to mental health issue um, or the issues. Uh, Michelle is a, a passionate mental health advocate. She personally has been impacted by men mental illness, but she has the trifecta of mental health experience. Uh, Michelle grew up loving and caring for her bipolar mother, and uh, she helped build the largest mental health employee resource at uh, Fortune 500 companies. She also experienced depression uh, herself due to a life event uh, reminding her that nobody is immune to mental illness at any given point in their life. Michelle's life's purpose is to be a massive contribution in eliminating the mental health stigma and creating more compassion. She's on Planet Joe Pod today to share her experience, uh, to elevate the conversation and empower others to become conduits for real change 
the workplace and in the community. She's committed to causing more open conversations and empowering people and um, companies to cause more compassionate environments for people living with invisible disabilities. Michelle is on a mission to cause cultures of compassion at work and community and uh, in our classrooms as well. She touches that as well when it comes to youth. Um, so that everyone can be their, you know, full authentic selves and thrive in compassionate and inclusive cultures. Now, mental disorders are the single most expensive category of health costs uh, for many employers across all industries. $17 billion is lost annually in productivity due to unaddressed mental health concerns. Um, she also wrote a book. Breaking Into My Life uh, was written to help herself along with the rest of us to better understand the world of mental illness. Uh, her story of uh, perseverance and triumph helps challenge and transform the suffer and silence dynamic and makes mental illness more understood, treated and accepted. In her book, she tells her story and humanized mental illness as her contribution to eliminate the shame, fear, and stigma that uh, prevents so many for, uh, from reaching out to get care. That experience combined with her own depression and years of experience working to shift the culture in Fortune 500 companies has led her to want to make an even bigger impact. She's committed to causing change in the workplace where we spend so many hours of our lives and proactively shaping how our youth relate to brain health, basically. Uh, the mental health stigma prevents so many from getting uh, the care they deserve. Uh, fear and shame prevent people from accessing care. It is silly because the brain is just another organ and sometimes it needs support. There's no health without mental health, bottom line. You know, if you don't have good mental health, you won't be healthy. So we're going to hear all about that from Michelle herself. Like I said, amazing human being. And I'm sure you'll enjoy this interview. She also has a great TED Talk, which you can find on YouTube. If you just um, do a search uh, from Michelle Dickinson, or you can also see it uh, on her website, uh, which is michelledickinson.com. And you can find her book at... Uh, breakingintomylife.com, and it's also on Amazon. The book is titled Breaking Into My Life. The book got all five-star reviews. Let me read a couple of those reviews for you. Here's one review. This is by far the most powerful, profound, and healing book I've ever read in my entire life, and I've read a lot of books. Another review says, an excellent read on coping with a parent or family member with mental illness. And the next review says, easy read with a powerful message, driving awareness on the challenges of mental health. And here's another one. This one says, transparent, real, and powerful. All of them five-star reviews. I haven't read the book yet, but I can imagine it's an amazing book just by reading the reviews and also by having the honor of having a conversation with Michelle. So without further ado, Again, Happy New Year, Happy 2020, and let's jump into it. Here she is, Michelle Dickinson. Enjoy. 
Hi there, Michelle Dickinson. How are you? Awesome. How are you, Joe? Thanks for having me. Good. Thank you for coming. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And welcome to Planet Joe Pod. I'm so excited that you accepted the invite. Uh, I'm thrilled to yeah. be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So let's start real quick. Uh, if you can just uh, give our listeners a background, who you are and uh, what you stand for, and uh, maybe start with the, uh, the background back in the day, how it all started. Sure, sure. So um, I live in New Jersey. I grew up with um, a mother who had bipolar disorder. So I experienced firsthand what that was like uh, from the lens of a child caregiver. She had um, the rapid cycling that you have with bipolar disorder, the manic highs, the deep depressing lows. And so I experienced that as a child and it shaped me into the woman that I've become today. And a few years ago, I found myself giving a TED talk, sharing what that was like for me. And I received such positive um, feedback in how I was humanizing mental health that I got really connected to wanting to write my memoir. And so last year, actually the beginning of 18, a couple of years ago now, I released my memoir, Breaking Into My Life, and I got really connected to using that as a vehicle to cause change and to really open up a, a dialogue around mental health because the book vividly um, shares those experiences that I had as a little girl. Mm-hmm. So, so now I, um, what I'm up to, I say that I have a trifecta of mental health experience. I not only loved a bipolar mom, but last year I dealt with depression for the first time and I'm adopted. So that was just a real vivid reminder that nobody is immune to mental illness. Mm-hmm. I had depression because of a life event. So I had to navigate that while working and it was a challenge. And then also the third leg of my trifecta trifecta is that I helped build a employee resource group for um, employees dealing with mental illness in the workplace to really create a compassionate culture. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm familiar with some of the things that work and some of the things that don't work and trying to create cultures of inclusion. So that's really my uh, my story in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. So, uh, if I may go back, you said you were adopted. Uh, yeah. Did you know that the whole time, or was it something that you found out when you were an adult? Yeah, it's so funny. I know people, you know, get this great reveal when they're eighteen, right? Mm-hmm. Like, no, this was a term that my mom and dad frequently used when okay. I was a little girl, so mm-hmm. I was very comfortable with uh, the term mm-hmm. um, growing up throughout my life. Mm-hmm. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. So can you tell us how it was, what I want you to like, try to, um, I'm trying to find out like, how was the, um, experience of, you know, growing up with, with a, uh, bipolar mother, was there, um, like epiphany, a moment where you realized that she had that, was she open about it or is it something that you discovered gradually? Yeah. You know, it's so, you know, you know what, you know, and so that was my normal, my mom's moods and the climate in the house. That was my normal, whether she was mean, you know, mania, dealing with mania and being happy and, you know, bouncing off the walls versus when she was crying and I would try to get her to laugh or try to get her to smile. Like that was my normal until I would go to like a girlfriend's house and see how the interaction and the dynamic with Mm. her and her mother were. So 
I think I just always knew that this was my situation. I didn't know any different really until I would see that outside of the house. Um, and you know, I conformed to that. I did what I had to, to like survive, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, like I put my needs on the shelf, made sure that everything was, was peaceful at home. If there was an upset with my mother, it upset everything. So it was my job to do what I could to keep her calm and keep her needs fulfilled. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And when it was tough. Yeah. Oh, I bet. I bet it wasn't easy. When was there a transition where you, you wanted to, um, make it like a career or actually deal with it with, with other people or or help other people. I just, you know, what's funny is like, I never, I never thought I would find this trajectory at Uh all. Like I, I just, I've been in the corporate space for, I've been in the pharmaceutical industry for 19 years, Mm -hmm. you know, working various roles, putting myself through college at night, you know, doing what I had to. And then, you know, it all started when I gave my Ted talk and I, I got really connected to, the power of storytelling around removing stigma mm-hmm. for on mental health, right? The second I opened my, my mouth and shared other people would come out of the shadows and say, Oh my gosh, I could relate to that. The way you shared that that's, ugh, I, I dealt with that. Mm-hmm. Or my sister has this, it just creates an access point for other people to relate to you and open up and share. And I was like, wow, mm-hmm. there's magic in this. Mm-hmm. I can, I can just go and tell my story and other people, might be more comfortable talking about how it affects them. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what do you think in general, the issue that we have in our country with mental illness, if you would, I think, yeah, you know, honestly, Joe, I think we've, I think we've come a long way and I, I don't want to diminish the progress that's been made. We have celebrities openly talking about their mental illness mm-hmm. and that only further humanizes the fact that, you know, we all have stuff, you know, and it helps people go, Oh, if, you know, if Lady Gaga can talk about whatever, or if, you know, the football player from the Eagles could talk about the fact that he walked off the field because he had, you know, overwhelming anxiety it mm-hmm. starts to be become real. So I want to acknowledge that there's a lot of progress that, that's been made, but what still lingers is we still relate to mental health as something taboo when it's really just the brain. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and the brain is just another organ. And when you break it down, the brain is just another organ. Why are we hush hush about issues related to the brain? Right. I think the challenge we have is that you know, one in five in the U.S. of Americans will deal with a mental illness in their life. Mm -hmm. And when there's fear and shame around that, it prevents people from getting the care they deserve. So that's the biggest issue. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about it. There's fear, there's shame, there's Mm -hmm. embarrassment, and people don't get it. And therefore, they think they have to shoulder it all alone. And when you're up and in your head, by yourself, isolated, not talking about it, it becomes far more scary than when you open your mouth and say, Hey, can I just tell you what, what's going on with me? Right. And then there's like, your thoughts are out of your head. They're out in the world and people can actually support you. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So here's the first stupid question. Um, <laughs> you know, that saying like people say, I don't want to say crazy people, but men, is it true to say that mental ill people are or some of them are not aware of the fact that they're mentally ill. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, because we're talking yeah, about I sharing mean, and being open about it. But yeah, um, I don't know if what if, is what is mental illness, though? Like, I think we all ride along this mental health spectrum, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So to say someone is mentally ill versus and it's not a stupid question. This is real. This is, mm-hmm. you know, people believe that either you're mental Ill, mentally ill or you're not. I want people to consider we all ride along this continuum of mental health and mental well-being Mm -hmm. and life throws us a curveball and we maybe aren't as healthy mentally as we could be. Right. So, I mean, to go and say, you know, definitively, you don't you don't know that you're mentally ill. um, I just think we all have are going to have those peaks and valleys. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's the conversations that are going to be the difference, right? Like I'm having a bad week. Like I am not feeling it and, and open opening up and talking to someone you trust Mm -hmm. that could, that can make the difference. Right. And then, you know, we also have our biases. So I do want to mention that because I think that this is really important. We all come to the table with our perceptions of what mental illness is Mm -hmm. and that bias has us look looking through the lens of at other people with that bias, right. whether or not they're, they're mentally stable or, or not. Right. So mm-hmm. I think we have to check our own biases and just kind of meet people where they are and support people where they are and just check in with each other and really care for one another. Mm-hmm. And that, and that could make all the difference for someone. Right. Okay. Um, so here's one thing that uh, I shared with you in the green room uh, with, with my experience with uh, mentally ill uh, individuals when I was in law enforcement. And um, to me personally, it somehow caused a rage against uh, the government, against uh, that they don't have any access to health care. Um, yeah. I mean, we had so many, some, so many people that, you know, we had calls on on regular basis and yeah. you know when we talk to the parents or the neighbors and it's just that they didn't have any money or access to take care of their their illness yeah and it broke my heart and you know it was frustrating i was like why in such a place like america that we can't take care of our mentally ill people or like you know mm-hmm. give them like easy access to take care of themselves what are your thoughts mm-hmm. about that when it comes to healthcare and mental illness? So it's, you know what, isn't that a shame that we mm-hmm. do have this big barrier to care? I, I really do believe that that is that what you speak is true. Mm-hmm. People don't feel like they have benefits. They don't have the healthcare access and that's a challenge. What I would say is we all have to be our own advocate and we all have to figure out ways to take care of ourselves. There are amazing organizations out there that offer education, tips, resources. We have to make it our business to make our well-being a priority mm-hmm. in the face of the fact that our that healthcare is a challenge. Mm-hmm. And we will. Mm-hmm. And so organizations like NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, great place to go. If you want to go to their website, you learn about the signs and symptoms. They have great tools, support groups. It's a matter of connecting yourself to other people in the community who know of of resources and tools Mm -hmm. in your immediate space Mm -hmm. because it's out there. Mental Health America is another organization I want people to check out, Mm -hmm. but we have to become our own advocate and really seek out care Mm -hmm. and not be resigned and give up and say, "Uh, I I don't have care. I can't do anything. No, connect with other people who've navigated this, find the, find the resources, find those threads that aren't advertised on billboards. Right. And, and, you know, I mean, 
nowadays you can get, um, you know, uh, what's the, uh, there's an, there's apps you can get on and, and there's, uh, teledocs that you can, you can call into that are like, you know, 60 bucks a session. You can find those and not, you know, be like, I, I can't get into a psychiatrist for six months. That doesn't work. Get yourself mm. care mm. and find a way to get yourself, you know, care quickly. Mm. So you're saying there is a, a way like these organizations are they provide the service for for free and including- these organizations are going to connect you to places in the community or resources that you didn't know about. Mm-hmm. That's what I will tell you. Mm-hmm. So, okay. no, it's not that black and white call NAMI and they'll get you a doctor. Mm-hmm. No, okay. I'm saying you got to be an advocate. You got to take you got to take on initiative and really look at what's available for you mm-hmm. um, in your community. Mm-hmm. And, and they're the ones they're the experts in mental health who will serve up. Oh, you live in this area geographically. Check out these locations. Check out these support groups, these parent groups, if you have a child with a, with a mental illness, mm-hmm. um, if you have a loved one with a mental illness, get in contact with these groups and they're, they're now going to be your tribe that help you navigate this. So you don't have to do it alone. Right. So it's a good time to ask, because I, I remember like we used to hang out, uh, hand out cards with like, you know, different phone numbers for, uh, yeah. um, um, access to, to care, to taking care of it. Yeah. Um, it's sad to say, but in most cases, and I can't put my finger on it and, and figure out why, but in most cases they either didn't do it or I don't know if it's, they didn't receive the care that they wanted. Mm-hmm. What would you say to a loved one who has someone in the family that's refusing it or pushing back on getting care? It's hard, right? You can't, you can lead a horse to water. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard. You know, I think, um, I, I remember my mom and my mom, I mean, like I, I go back to my own, my own experience and there were times when my mom, um, just wouldn't take her medication. I mean, it's the perfect example. Compliance is always a big concern around mental illness. Even if you get the care and you get the prescription or you, you know, or receive a, you know, what you should be doing, Oftentimes it doesn't work. The follow through isn't there. It's really hard. I think you, all you can do is stay in conversation and stay in the listening and really, um, you know, support the loved one and remind them that care is there for them. If they, if they reach out for it and get it, they'll be better off. Um, you know, my mom would start to feel better and then she'd take herself off her medication. And ultimately that would have her go into a deeper depression mm-hmm. and her rebound would be even longer. So it's, it's, uh, it's punishing. There's, there's no two ways about it. I, I talk about this a, a lot. It being a caregiver is a very punishing role and you know, caregivers need to find those boundaries where they support their loved one, but also take care of themselves and they need to recognize there's only so much they can do. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Okay. All right. Can Can you tell us a little bit about your your book? Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So my memoir, Breaking Into My Life, um, mm-hmm. I wrote it over a four year period. It was a very uh, emotional and cathartic process. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I really just kind of talks about from my early years as a little girl, what it was like to care for my mom and witness her emotional roller coasters. Her mania was like Disney for me. We would go shopping, have shopping sprees. 
And then her depression where I, I really could not do anything to console her while she was crying for like days on end. Mm -hmm. So I wanted my reader to really understand what that experience was like, but then also how that experience shaped me into the woman that I grew up to be and how the impact of um, playing that role you know, had on me in terms of how I show up in the world, how I show up in relationships, how I show up professionally, some of the hindrances that it gave me, but then ultimately some of the ways that experience has positively impacted me and my, you know, hunger to want to help people and my desire to want to be a contribution in the world. Mm -hmm. It's basically how I took lemons, made lemonade and came out the other side so people could understand that even if you've been through crap as a child, you have a say in how things go from this moment forward. You are not the victim mm. for eternity. You get to, you get to change that. We yeah. all get to change up the script. Right. Absolutely. Very well said. Very well said. So if I gave you a magic wand when it comes to that topic, like what's the, your, your main or biggest goal or passion or thing that you would want to create the change in? in the world when it comes to mental illness? Wow. Um, well, first of all, if we lived in a stigma-free uh, world where people openly talked about their brain health as they would talk about their physical health, I think we'd be in a much better place. So I, I guess I, I immediately think about youth. I immediately think about children and what a stigma-free world could be like for them as adults down the road and what is it we can do now to shape that and shape them into having a healthy relationship to brain health. Mm -hmm. One where they felt comfortable openly talking, had the courage to raise their hand when they need help and look out for one another and really understand, you know, okay, I might have to say something because my, my one friend is acting not like he normally acts, right? Mm -hmm. Having the courage to speak up for themselves and others. Mm -hmm. So I would say really helping mold their relationship to mental health mm -hmm. now as youngsters. So I have a children's program. That's where I'm going with this, mm -hmm. where we Good. really do that. We teach them empathy. We teach them compassion. We teach them to love themselves for who they are, that, you know, they have a place in the world and, you know, sometimes you're going to have overwhelm. You're going to have anxious moments, have the courage to raise your hand and, and ask for help. It's okay to be, to not be okay. Mm -hmm. Like be, you know, mm -hmm. so, so that I, I think we all spend a lot of hours in the workplace. So if we had the ability to uh, have a, a work environment that was truly an inclusive space for people with invisible disabilities, just as it's inclusive for physical disabilities, mm -hmm. We would have, um, you know, we'd have people being able to be truly themselves, authentically bring themselves to work, not have to put the game face on and pretend that they're okay when right. that actually compounds the situation. So um, what I'm really out to, to do is have, have there be more work environments that are more understanding, compassionate, inclusive, supportive. Mm -hmm. And so how, however I can do that, even law enforcement, you mentioned like, mm -hmm. Law enforcement and first responders, they see trauma. They deal with trauma all the time. What are they doing for their well-being? And what, what can we do? What else could we be doing for them? Yeah. So yeah. I could go on and on and on. <laughs> oh, please do. This is it's just, it's so super important. interesting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why I'm so excited to have you here. And, and I'm like, 
you know, I'm like, like watching mm -hmm. a suspense movie. I'm like listening, like every word, <laughs> very, very interesting. And, and yeah, and it's also, I, you know, I have the, the, the need and the care and the, and the love and the want to help to do like, what can I do to, to help to make this better when it comes to people who suffer from mental illness? Uh, but you did mention um, um, youth, right? That, that we have this yeah. thing with youth. Doesn't yeah. that uh, inevitably brings you to the intersection of bullying? Yes, it's yes, it's mm -hmm. it's very interesting, especially now in the world of social media, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you know, it's funny. It, it, there there are two different ways you can tackle bullying. You could tackle it with a anti-bullying campaign, or you could tackle it with a self-confidence self-love, um, comfortable in my own skin, kind of inclusive conversation where kids are, their self-esteem is where it should be. So they're not as vulnerable to bullying. Right. Mm -hmm. And to understand what that really is all about over there when there is a bully. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think what, what really struck me that woke me up to the need to really address this with our youth is the suicide statistic that came out from the CDC mm. last year that said that the third leading cause of death for 15 to 24 year olds was suicide. Wow. And I think, you know, when you hear a statistic like that, you're like, why are they committing suicide as, as young as 15 years of age? And if it is bullying related, then what can we do to have kids really get their value mm -hmm. that they are perfect, whole and complete, just as they are, that they bring something special to the table that, you know, it doesn't have to be that bad, you know? So we have to reach our kids. Mm -hmm. That's a horrible statistic. They should not it be, is. you know, yeah. ending their lives. Absolutely. It is a horrible statistic. So you're saying the 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 best uh, approach to it would be actually to um, talking to the kids and make I don't know not immune to bullying to being bullied but but to make them understand it's not like I think the the or maybe it changed but as far as I know up until now the approach was to target the bullies right to talk in schools um, against bullying basically um, but you're saying it's a good thing to actually communicate to the children it, just in case if they do get bullied to understand their state of mind and kind of like strengthen them yeah. from within. Yeah. So my program, perfect, just the way you are, what, what my program focuses on is elevating and bolstering self-esteem and having them become more self-aware around their feelings, their emotions, and also teaching them empathy and compassion. Right. So if you could teach those those qualities and you have a child really confident in who they are and how they show up in the world and really like, uh, you know, knowing that they're that they're OK just by being themselves, they'll be less vulnerable. That's mm -hmm. my point. Mm -hmm. um, and if you teach them empathy and compassion, they'll understand what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes and maybe pause for a minute and not judge so harshly. Mm -hmm. you know, and even be the bully, um, and judge, mm -hmm. right. We all have different lenses on life and come from different experiences. And if you can help them understand that, um, and really fall in love with themselves, I think we, we've done a, a good thing for them and their, and their vulnerability to something like bullying. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wonderful. So one last question about bullying. 
what advice do you have to, for parents? Um, I have a seven-year-old son, and uh, mm -hmm. he was bullied a couple times. And mm -hmm. my knee-jerk reaction was, you know, to go there and face the, the boy that bullied him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so embarrassingly enough, I have to admit, I did that. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's like I said, knee-jerk reaction, and I didn't want it to. And this was after quite a few times, not once or twice. Um, but what advice would you give parents of, of, uh, you know, children that they're, or youth that they're, they, they come to them and they say, you know, this kid is bullying me. It's on social media or at school. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, isn't it a gift if, if a child comes to the parent and says that, yes. right? Look, look for the blessing in that. Mm, right. Wow. True. <laughs> I think it's a conversation with them, a conversation around the whole thing that has unfolded, but more so a conversation about who they are as, as individuals. Like what makes you great? Why are you awesome? What is it that you can do that no one else can do? How do you feel about yourself? It's, it's a, it's an exercise in having them really get who they are and be confident in that and understand that those are words, right? And that maybe teaching even a little empathy or compassion for the bully. We all know, I mean, you see a Christmas story, right? Was it a Christmas story? I think so. Mm. That little kid probably had more stuff going on at home than any, any one of them, right. but no one knew. Right. So maybe it's around having them understand or maybe even have compassion or, or empathy for the bully for mm -hmm. where, where they're coming from. Like, look at all the blessings you have in your home. You have, you know, a fresh clean shirt on and shoes on your feet and a, and a, a good meal. Like who, who knows what anyone else is dealing with and then having them get really connected to how amazing they are as, as individuals. Mm. And there is nothing anyone can say about them that can diminish who they are without their permission. Mm -hmm. I see. And, uh, and practically, mm -hmm. I don't know because I don't have a seven-year-old. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> right. Mm -hmm. um, no, that was, that was well said, beautifully said. So let's go back to uh workplace. Um, mm -hmm. Can you elaborate a little bit about that? Um, Because I think there are like if people that, you know, if they have a mental illness that they wouldn't, they would be ashamed or afraid of losing their job or sharing it with yes. their coworkers or, um, I, I guess the first question is like, what would you advise like employers? Like, or how would you, let's say I have a company with a small company with 50 employees and I want to mm -hmm. do right. What, what's the first thing that I would do to see if I have someone who's, you know, have, if they have issues. Yeah, it all starts with your culture. It all starts with, do you have a culture that is it has a trusting environment within? Is, is there a good um, manager-employee relationship? Is there trust there? Do your employees, do you think your employees are, are feel uh, the loyalty the company has for them? Because your employees are your greatest asset. So what are you doing around cultivating a healthy, trusting um, environment. Um, and so there is an organization that I've partnered with in Canada and in Canada. So there's two, from my experience in this mental health space, there are two countries that really lead the way in mental health and, and in the workplace. Um, and that is Canada and Australia. So Canada, I have a, I'm partnering with a company from from there that adheres to the psychological safety standards that Canada has for workplace, mm. right? 
There are 13 of them. And the company that I'm partnering with added a few additional ones. So there's different psychological components of the workplace that create that safety for an employee. And there's an assessment that can be taken where a company can say, how am I? How, how, how is my environment? And you can do an assessment to say, oh, well, you're kind of weak in these areas um, around psychological safety. Mm-hmm. And then you can go to work on those areas. But the environment has to fundamentally be a space where employees feel comfortable disclosing to their leader without a fear of repercussion or a fear of being treated any less than who they are. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of courage for an employee to speak up, but it also takes a lot for a leader to come at that conversation with elevated emotional intelligence without fear of, oh, this is an employment issue. This is a legal employment issue. No. Mm-hmm. How about a little bit more compassion, understanding, how do I meet you where you are? You're dealing with depression. How do I support you so you can show up in the workplace to the best of your ability? What do you need? Mm-hmm. And ultimately, if you build that, you're going to get the best performance from that person. Mm-hmm. They're going to feel connected to they're going to enhance their loyalty. There's going to be more trust in the culture. Um, so that's fundamentally, I think, where employers really need to start is really take a look at your culture and how are you addressing. And I'm not saying slapping a 800 EAP number, employee assistance number on the water cooler. Right. Exactly. There's, there's more work to be done. That's for what people I was going to say. Like a lot of companies, that's what they do. You know, they slap these posters like, you know, in a crisis, call this number. Yeah. Which is invisible, how, basically. Yeah. How about there's more open dialogue and less like, oh, I got to write that number down on a post-it and take it, you exactly. know, in my car and make right. the phone call. Like, come on. Yeah. Why, why do we relate to it that way? That's mm-hmm. the first and foremost, the biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. How about a couple lunch and learns where you're openly talking about mental mental strain, anxiety, the feelings of burnout, what, what employees are doing to maintain balance. Um, what do what are you doing around caring for that sick loved one at home? Right. And then how are you trying to balance your workload and then care for your sick loved one? Come together, start talking and strategizing, Mm -hmm. you know, and building a support community. Yeah. That's so beautifully said, Michelle. But, you know, I think in, in reality is like, how do we, I don't know if the right word is educate, you know, employers and companies. I think in reality, the majority, all they care about is the bottom line. I know. Would you say, like, would you be for, like, a a government program that would actually make it, like, a law? Like, you know, like a health department thing, like in restaurant where, you know, cleanliness is is the law that they get checked on a regular basis? Do you think that would be something that would expand it significantly? I think think what we have to go back to basics and we have to teach people leaders how to have compassion for one another. And no matter what you dictate, at the end of the day, we're all people and managers really need to get the value of compassion and the value. Yes. I mean, <clears throat> if people are your greatest assets and your number one priority is drive for performance versus caring for your people, mm-hmm. you're not going to win. If you care for your people, your performance, mm-hmm. I bet you, is going to blow your mind. Yeah. Care for your people first. Watch the performance elevate. I always say treat your employees like you want them to treat your customers. Hello. Right? Basic, right? right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so what's uh, outside of the um, uh, workspace? What what uh, where else can we make a difference? I think you know fundamentally when we talk about mental health and how mental health lives in the world, I think we forget we're so connected to our cell phones. Mm -hmm. We're so you know, as, as connected as we are, we're so disconnected from each other, eyeball to eyeball, right? right? I think what we all could be doing to really remove stigma and open up a conversation is check in with one another and genuinely ask, how are you doing? Right. Like genuinely mm. and be with them and listen to people. How really, how are you doing? Um, and and not underestimate the power of that because there could be someone you genuinely say, how are you doing? And no one has asked them that question in a week mm -hmm. and they don't get support at home or, you know, you're out in the community and someone looks like, Hey, bad day. How you doing? Mm -hmm. How about that? If right. you did that for someone, yeah. I think we underestimate the power of connecting with people face-to-face, -face, mm -hmm. a gesture, a smile, mm -hmm. knowing that people feel cared for, we can all do that. Yeah. What if we all did do that? Exactly. Imagine. Yeah. It's funny. I'm, I'm smiling when you say that because our regular listeners already know me. So many times when I open an episode, I ask that. I'm like, when did you, when was the last time you ever looked into someone's eyes and ask, how are you doing? Like literally, how are you doing? Not just, hey, what's up and, and yeah. keep going. When was the last time you looked into someone's eyes and genuinely asked them, how are you doing? It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah it's funny basic. that you said that. Very basic, basic mm -hmm. stuff. What are your thoughts of um, the whole op opioid uh, crisis? Uh, do you think there is a connection with mental illness? You know, I think anytime someone has a mental illness, they're going to gravitate to a vice, mm -hmm. right? I think any anything, even, you know, substance abuse. My mom, you know, her vice was food. Mm -hmm. It wasn't alcohol. It wasn't pills. Her vice was a big fat chocolate cake mm. or fast food. I think, you know, when people have a mental illness, they're looking for something to soothe the pain, this, the, the voices in their head, whatever they're navigating up upstairs by themselves, mm -hmm. they're looking for an outlet. So you could say opioids, you know, you could say alcoholism, all of these things uh, people lean on to remove the, themselves from that pain or mm -hmm. from that suffering. So it's all kind of, you know, to point the finger and say opioids is the cause and that I think mm -hmm. in a lot of, in a lot of ways, it, there's opportunity around opioids for sure. Um, but mental illness, people are suffering and they're looking for ways out, ways to not suffer. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Which is uh, kind of normal and makes sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Fun question. This one, I remember okay. when I uh, approached you the first time, like, I got to ask her about that. What do you think uh -oh. about uh, Joker, the movie? <laughs> Joker, the movie? Mm -hmm. I'm I sure you heard I've the whole buzz about this. You know, it's encouraging mental ill people to go out and shoot and it's all that. Do you hear all the noise around it from the media? No. Oh, so no? this is the first time I'm hearing this. And oh, really? I don't think I've ever even seen the Joker movie. Oh, okay. So yeah, I think there's you're a whole, the wrong the, person. <laughs> the, the media went crazy. Like this is encouraging mental illness. It's encouraging incels and that because it's a, the way well you have to see the movie but they focus like on a mental illness person who becomes the joker basically wow uh, and isn't that the problem that we have movies and the media painting mm -hmm. our relationship to mental health like that's the problem mm -hmm. like, 
you know, unfortunately school shootings, what do they say? The guy was mentally ill. Right. And, and so if you have no relationship to mental illness and that's what you see, that's your relationship to, oh, well, if you're mentally ill, you're going to go fire up a school. Mm-hmm. Come on. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and that's the picture the media paints exactly. that, you know, the entertainment industry's painting with mm-hmm. this joker that you're telling me about. Mm-hmm. Like, no, it's, it's not like that. There could be someone just dealing with basic anxiety. There could right. be someone just dealing with ADHD. Mm-hmm. Like right. it's, it's the whole gamut. Mm-hmm. So yeah. We have to educate ourselves. We really have to make an effort to educate ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. And to talk about it. I think that's that's the biggest thing to talk and to, you know, put it out there, all the information and then knowledge about it, because not many people know about it. Even though I dealt with it, you know, within law enforcement, I didn't know much about it, even though we had some training how to deal with, with those types of people. But it was mostly, you know, to avoid violence. It wasn't like really providing care and whatnot. Right. But, uh, but right. It, but it is, it's something that's so frustrating that they have to be in the closet. That's, that's what's the biggest thing. I think that's so frustrating about it. Yeah. And, and, You're going to label me. You're going to judge me. I'm afraid of mm-hmm. how I'm going to show up in the world. I'm afraid of treatment. I'm afraid of what the doctor's going to say. Right. Am I going to have to go to the padded room? Yeah. All of these things play out in your head. Yeah. Right. So I, I get it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. The thing I'm really excited I wanted to share with you, Joe, is um, the Canadian company that I'm partnering with mm-hmm. has an amazing um, program called a peer-to-peer community. Mm-hmm. They actually go into companies that are in a good cultural space and they pull out the employees who are willing to become resources for other employees and they train them. So they're employees with lived experience that come together in a community and they're, they're trained. So they know kind of where boundaries are, but then they're a resource for their own peer who may deal with depression and they serve as a beacon of hope as listen, I was where you are and I'm okay. And I work next to you mm. and I let me, let me support you. That's beautiful. So I, I love this whole peer to peer support mm-hmm. mechanism. I think it goes beyond benefits. It goes beyond um, EAP 800 numbers. Right. It really provides people within their own space supporting each other. Mm-hmm. And I am so stoked about that. Yeah. Like I think every workplace should have a community like this of their Absolutely. own people. Absolutely. And I, I bet it makes it easier for other employees to approach other employees. Yes. It's less frightening than going to the CEO or your manager or yeah. Yeah. That's or it. even like, Hey, like when you were dealing with depression, like how did you even broach the topic with your manager mm-hmm. or how did you navigate our benefit system? I don't even know how to navigate our benefit system. Imagine right. if they like were just there as a resource, you employees wouldn't feel so alone, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. I just love it. I'm excited. I want to see it get into every That's, work environment for people. Yeah, absolutely. So how, how do do you get to certain, like you said, that it's actually employees that went through, you know, a certain crisis or yes. or some issues that they have. So, and then you, you pick those employees and you send them to, tra- to training, right? Yeah, they come yeah. to a small training and, you know, the training is amazing because it, it, it ranges everything from, you know, your well-being to how, to how do I support someone? It actually takes off a lot of the burden because I think a lot of times when 
we want to help someone, we feel like we have to know all of the answers and be a mini clinician. Mm -hmm. What this really does for the peer supporter, it is, it has them understand, listen, you're not here to fix them. You're just here to support them on their journey right? and remind them that they're, that what's possible is that, you know, I was able to navigate it. Mm -hmm. Right. So they just train them, they support them, and then they're a resource. Mm -hmm. And then they're empowered to take their story and turn it around and make a difference Mm -hmm. and say, if I could do this, you could do this. Right. Which is the ultimate support, right? Absolutely. I would, I would have welcomed that when I was dealing with depression, people who were trying to help me had no clue what I was dealing with. Mm -hmm. Oh, Michelle, just smile. Everything's going to be okay. Just go for a walk, go, go get exercise. No, man. Like, you don't know what it's like. You don't know what it's like, Mm -hmm. unless you walked in my shoes, you don't know. Yeah. So that's why I love peer communities because these people have been where you are. Right. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, it makes a huge difference. Um, personally with me, I've went through something very similar when it comes to like a real depression for about a year. I was like crushed. Mm. I lost my mom. And 10 months after that, I lost my sister. Um, I would say my twin sisters because we were that close, but we weren't biologically twins. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, you just reminded me like so many people were trying to comfort you, but they have no clue, uh, in the darkness that I'm at, like no clue. Like, and I know the the intention is good, but it just goes over your head. It's like, you have no idea where I'm at. And, um, um, one of my biggest support uh, was a book that I read titled The Loss of a Sibling. And it's just stories of people who lost like really, really close, you know, siblings. And wow. that, and you just said it, like someone who went through the same thing. It, it's, I guess, I don't I couldn't even say why it's comforting, but it was comforting. Yes. You know what I mean? It's uh, yes. it just reminded me. Yep. Yeah. When you have someone that no, went through it, what you went through, it's different. Absolutely. And, and that they are okay on the other side. Right. That's the whole, right. I mean, that's the most important thing for someone in a dark space is the glimmer of hope right. that they could see in someone else mm-hmm. that, oh man, this is just temporary. I'm going to get where he is. Mm-hmm. Like he, he was here and he's okay. Mm-hmm. Like I would have no clue. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to get there. Right. It's hope. Yeah. You can't hope is just either present or it's not. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. When you're in darkness, that's all you see around you is just pitch black. There's no hope. There's no nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so how do we reach like those? Any company, I guess, for, for that. Yeah. Fact, how do we? Yeah. Reach so, so uh, what I'm up to, and if folks are interested in wanting to know more about mm-hmm. how to cultivate cultures of compassion through a variety of ways, they can reach out to me. Mm-hmm. It's a. It's more. I am, I'm more, uh, committed to helping employees within workplaces or even decision makers. I want them to be the conduit for change in their culture. Mm-hmm. So when you look at a diverse organization, if, it, if an organization is committed to diversity, they need to be inclusive of people with invisible disabilities. So mm-hmm. I can support employees and I can support leaders by just sharing with them basic financial implications of mental illness how it affects your bottom line and then share with you ways to condition your environment. First, get the pulse of your environment. What is that environment really like? What are this, what's the rating your company has on the psychological uh, safety? Mm -hmm. How do people really feel, understand what that is? And then what is it that could be done 
to really create a, a more uh, inclusive, um, healthy workplace that's supportive of people you know, with invisible disability. So I can certainly, people can reach out to me. They can get me through my website, which is mm-hmm. michelledickinson.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm happy to talk to you. I'm happy to empower you to be the change. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be the change. I can empower you, give you tools and resources. And then if you're, if you know, you, if there's an opportunity to do more, I'm happy to be that person too. Yeah. You're a true superwoman. Aw, yeah. thanks. <laughs> So you're training management basically to how to um, approach that, right? Yeah, and, like so. And, there's there's two programs the Canadian company offers: is the peer program, there's the manager training, there's mm-hmm. employee training. It's all around, you know, we're moving away from uh, like a mental health first aid kind of training, which is very clinical in nature. This is more right. around compassion and empathy and emotional intelligence and having people leaders understand how to embrace a conversation about this. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's really educating people on being comfortable with being compassionate. We're teaching compassion at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a boss, I have to tell you this story because this Mm -hmm. is really what ignited this in me. Mm -hmm. When I was dealing with depression, I told my boss that I was dealing with it. And then that took something. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, really met with a lot of love. Let's just say it was like, get your deliverables done. If you can't meet your Mm -hmm. deliverables, tell us Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Okay. In my performance review at the end of the year, I was told that I didn't bring my bubbly upbeat self to work every day. After I had disclosed that I was suffering from depression, I was judged by not being bubbly and upbeat every day. And I thought, wow, if that is happening to me, how many other people is this happening to Mm who had the courage to speak up and now are being judged by their disposition right? just because they're trying to do the best they can. Like, I was like, this is where we need change. And I want to exactly. be a source of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. But yeah. my question is, is it possible to change, you know, those type of, you know, hard headed management, uh, you know, that they're all they care about is bottom line. Um, so, so what I think sp- it is, I, I do think it is, Joe, I think yeah. you got to give, I think you got to, you, you have to give leaders the data. You got to assess the culture on how do your employees feel? What's the level of psychological safety in your workplace? You record that data and you give it to your leader and say, these are the areas of deficit. Mm. You need to do more in this space and get them to have a remit that says, we're going to take care of our people. Our people are a priority Mm -hmm. and you're never going to, you know, I mean, you're never going to reach everyone. Not ever. You can't teach everyone empathy and compassion, but if you start measuring that and you Mm -hmm. start getting aware of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So walk me through the process. Like if if I'm inviting you to my company, I'm the manager, Mm -hmm. you tell me about how, how do you assess that with, with the employees? How do we, how do we approach it? Is it one of those like online tests that ask questions? Yeah, there's a couple of layers to collecting the quantitative and qualitative assessment around the standards of psychological safety. Mm -hmm. Um, So that would be the first step is we would work to get the complete assessment of the culture. And once you come away with that assessment, then you know what areas in the, um, the 14 different, um, 
standards, like mm-hmm. which one, it, you know, could it be, it, it could be everything from, you know, management support. Um, there's a whole list of them. You get to identify what the deficits are through the data collection. And then those are the ones you go to work on. And these are all questions basically, right? Yeah, there's, well, there's a, there's a question, uh, there's a comprehensive um, question air that goes out to all, all of your people. Mm-hmm. There's um, focus group conversations that occur with managers separately from employees. And then that data gets kind of crunched together and you say, okay, so from all of this data, you have to work on, you know, resource management and um, employees um, feeling, um, you know, supported or or whatever, whatever, whatever that that comes out to be. And then, and then the leader has that the leader Mm -hmm. of the organization goes, Oh, well, so if we want to elevate our psychological safety and and how people feel when they come through our doors, Mm -hmm. these are the things we're going to go to work on. Mm -hmm. And, and then from there, maybe a peer program would be part of part of the solution. Maybe it wouldn't be, maybe there's something else. Maybe people want more training and maybe people want more advancement. Mm -hmm. Maybe, Maybe it's, you know, not um, going to be a mental health program, but maybe it is. Right. right. Maybe it is. Right. And you and you provide the, the, the guidance after we assess the data and this is where yep. we're at. And that's what you do. Right. You provide the, yep. the guidance how to actually. I guess actually to start a dialogue with, with the employees. That's because yeah. I, I, I can imagine that it's still hard, even though, okay, we know because it's an overall thing, right? It's probably an anonymous. It is what, anonymous. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It is. Yep. So how can, um, how do you pinpoint or do we talk like generally to the, the whole uh, staff, the whole, uh, all the employees, we tell them that we have this service. Like how what do we do pull mean? the individuals that are in, 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 they really need that help. That's my question. Cause we have now, we have the data, the yeah. assessment. I have mm-hmm. 50 employees. How do I know out of the 50 that three of them are like going through a really hard time and ashamed to talk about it. And they brought it up, I guess, in the uh, questionnaire. Mm. Do you understand? The- so, yeah. So, okay. So I think we're getting uh, a little confused. So, when I say we're assessing, we're assessing the culture of the company, right. the, cu- the culture of the environment. So for example, the 14 standards, there's one um, moral conflict, there's one fatigue, burnout, mm-hmm. right? Like what, how, how do employees feel about those topics? They're not disclosing, I have a mental illness, I need help. What mm-hmm. you're doing is you're conditioning your environment and you're, you're understanding what the culture is. And then you're going to work on those areas. So what can we do around moral conflict. And then there's actions that go into, into place to shift that in the culture. Mm -hmm. If you have employees that don't feel safe disclosing that they're dealing with a mental illness, that's a culture issue. That's a, that's a relationship and a trust issue that they do not have with their leader. Mm -hmm. So what could be done? Do we elevate the understanding and the, how managers can interact with employees if they see a shift in behavior? How can I do that as a manager safely without invading their space? Well, there's ways that you can do that. There's conversations that could be had um, and there's support that can be put into place, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's educating then the managers and then let's have an employee training where we're talking openly about what does it mean to 
to deal with stress and anxiety in the workplace and have balance in your life um, and look out for one another. So there's, there's that training, you know, so it's, it's all around it. And it could be Mm multi-pronged if you're looking to really redo and really elevate your culture. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's more inclusive. I mean, there's some things that you're going to need to do based on the, based on what the data says, Mm -hmm. where your weaknesses are. Yeah. Oh, so beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. In layman terms, we're creating a very cozy environment for the whole tribe and then they feel safe. Whoever has an issue or something, they feel safe to talk about it, to Exactly. I mean, who wouldn't want an environment where they felt like they could be themselves every day? Right. Absolutely. And not fake it and not have to put on the game face and just be like, oh my God, I'm dying underneath. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So So true. And what boggles my mind is like how leaders uh, don't realize that it does help the bottom line. If you create a really safe and fun, good environment, it's loyalty. uh, It's it's like a no brainer. Yeah. Like loyalty, don't you want your employees to feel loyal mm-hmm. to you? I mean, if 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 an employee has the courage to divulge, I'm dealing with this because of a life event or what, whatever, mm-hmm. and it's met with love and compassion and support, what do you think yeah. you've just done for the loyalty of right. that employee with your organization? Exactly. Come Absolutely. on. It's like a no-brainer. Yeah. No-brainer. <laughs> That's what I say. It's like, it's sad that we have to, you know... Grab them by the throat and, and tell them, change your <laughs> ways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Michelle, do you think stress, men- mental illness, and all of that, do you think it's getting worse over the years? Or does it just seem like it because it's maybe coming out into the light? Yeah, um, I think I think it is coming out into the light. But I also think people are getting fed up with the old way of working. Mm-hmm. Um and they're starting to get connected to, there's got to be a better way to create a work-life balance. There's, there's got to be a better way um, to find that fulfillment in life than work myself into the ground. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think people are, are just, um, they're getting fed up with the way things are and they, they're demanding more. And I think employees are demanding more of their employer to say, you know, let me work from home a couple of days. Let me, let me spend the time I want to spend while my child is young. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, I think, you know, the people are, are starting to ask for more and you have companies like, you know, Google and other companies that are creating better, um, better environments for people to thrive. Um, so it's, it's really cool to see some of the innovation that's going on. I'm working with a woman in my, in my own town. She has a company where she's trying to help everyone understand that you can, that you can kind of like weave work into your life. Mm -hmm. And if you can weave it in together, so it's not, you know, you could do some work and do some life and do some work and do some life. Imagine what that could be like this, this whole like dance with the two. And it's not like works over here. Right. And life is over here. You can kind of find a way to blend them together beautifully. Mm-hmm. The level of fulfillment people will have and the, and how you reduce the stress and anxiety by, by creating something like that. That gets me so excited about like the workplace of the future. Right. Yeah. Does that mean that you have to do only what you love? Or not necessarily in order to like mix the two together, work and life. I don't know. I mean, I think people are starting to be more reflective of like, is this, is this job a paycheck or is it bringing me fulfillment? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know that it has to be. Um, I think, 
honestly, I mean, I'm speaking my, my own truth because, you know, after 19 years of being in the pharma world, I'm really connected to what I want to do to make a living. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that gives you natural energy. If you find something that you love and you're like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make a living at it. Mm -hmm. Does it feel like work? It feels like life. And and oh, it is a job. Right. So I think I think there are more and more people, especially younger generation, where they're mm. like, I want more. I don't want just a paycheck. I want exactly. more. Right. Yeah. Or like you said, like the job environment, like, you know, like what Google's doing and other companies, they create a fun environment to work. So it's it's less of a, you know, bummer to go to work and less of a job. It right. Um, makes it much easier and fun. Yeah. Absolutely. You hear that? People take care of your employees. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, right? right? It's so true. <laughs> Good. So tell us again your website, and um, I, if you don't mind, bring up the uh, names of the uh, uh, organizations you said that. Um, also sure, have, sure. Uh, so my website is michelledickinson.com. Mm-hmm. You can find me there. I have uh, programs for children and then programs for the workplace. But reach out to me. I'm happy to talk to you about either or. Um, I mentioned a couple of websites earlier. I mentioned NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Be sure to check that out for resources. Mental Health America is another website you want to check out for resources. Um, There's a free peer-to-peer community um, that's available to anyone and everyone who might be dealing with a mental illness um, that I'm a big advocate for because conversation is everything. And that's uh, www18, the number 18 percent written out.org. Okay. And it's free and you can uh, download it on your phone and you can talk to other people who might be dealing with what you're dealing with anonymously. Mm-hmm. So uh, keep talking more than anything. Mm-hmm. Good. Wonderful. And uh, a few words that you can pro- that you would say if, you know, one of our listeners or some of our listeners are going through something that they've kind of like need that push? Yeah, I have two messages. Yeah. So my first message is for someone who thinks they might be dealing with a mental illness. If it's compromising your joy, if it's compromising how you feel about life, do yourself a favor and get yourself the care that you deserve. Talk to somebody. First of all, talk to somebody you trust. Even if it's not, you're ready to call it, a physician or a therapist, talk to someone you, you, you trust, keep talking. Don't go in your head. It's far less scary when you're actually verbalizing how you feel with someone you trust. So that's my message for people who think they might be dealing with something Mm -hmm. and you're a human being. One in five of us will have a life event or a circumstance Mm -hmm. and we will deal with a mental illness in our lifetime. You are no different than so many people. It's okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. And then for the caregivers, um, the thing that I came away from my whole experience with my mom realizing is you got to put the oxygen mask on yourself first. As much as you want to give and give and give and care for the loved one and, you know, just go into um, exhaustion trying to help, you have to take care of yourself or you're not going to be good enough to help anyone around you. So make sure that you make your self-care a priority. Beautiful. Can you give some tips? Like, what do you mean for the caregivers uh, taking care of yourself? Like, yeah, boundaries. Boundaries are perfect, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you give, if you give an inch and they demand a mile, nope. I'm giving mm-hmm. you an inch right now. Mm-hmm. With my mother, the thing with my mother was she would call me all the time. Mm-hmm. 
And finally, I was like, I will talk to you at 7.30 at night for 30 minutes, but I'm not talking to you five times throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Control the situation, create your boundaries, do what you have to do for your own well-being, get the exercise class in, go for a walk, clear your head, meditate, whatever you need to do, take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. Beautiful. Very well said, Michelle. Super interesting. Thank you. Um, I'm out of questions. Is there anything you want to add? Anything that I missed that you want to? No, I love that you Mm -hmm. want to have this conversation. Mm -hmm. I think everyone can benefit from, you know, just being more open about mental health Mm -hmm. and brain health and well-being. So thank you for broaching the topic and Mm -hmm. having me on your show. Yeah. Thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. Um, do you want to share with us uh, also social media or anything that we can find you at? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm on uh, Facebook. It's Michelle Dickinson. You mm-hmm. can find me there. Um, I'm also, I have to make sure I have, so my Instagram, I always forget is uh, Michelle Dickinson 71 mm-hmm. and Twitter is at Michelle Dickinson 13. So feel free to check me out there. Mm-hmm. I am trying hard to to post some content regularly so mm-hmm. people can, can get something as well from my posts. Right. Yeah. And you, um, on her website, you can find um, find out a bunch of information. Her website is uh, um, filled with a wealth of information and her background and whatnot. And I also highly recommend you guys go to YouTube and uh, Google search or Google search. Just do a search on YouTube for Michelle Dickinson TED Talk. It's a wonderful TED Talk. Highly recommended. Thanks, as well. Joe. Yeah. They can get that on my website too. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, if you go to my website, you yeah, can get it there yep. too. On yeah. her website, you awesome. can see the TED Talk, and there's a bunch of wonderful interviews that she has on uh, news shows and all that. So, uh, yeah. Michelle, thank you so much for everything that you do. You're a superwoman, uh, truly. Thank you. And, and you're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. I wish, uh, wish you all the best uh, this coming new year. And thank again, you. thank you for coming. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. All right. That's an amazing woman. Hope you enjoy this pod pod. I love smart people. Smart women that truly do good in the world. All right, my peeps, that's it. Take care of yourselves. Love yourselves. We'll see you here next time. Planet Joe Pod. Don't forget to follow. Love ya. Peace out.